and it's a big ask. But if you are courageous enough to step into this in its possibility, if you don't have it already, then there's everything to play for. You can't lose. This is the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast with me, Al Kenny, and my partner in crime, Mark Billows Bilby. This is the place where we shine a light on the brilliance and the truth of the human condition, whilst blow up the illusions that get in our way. You have your usual people with you, myself, and my collaborator and partner in crime, Mark Bilby. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing well, my friend. I'm excited today. We've got uh, a special guest. Indeed. A uh, very special guest, which uh, we might as well get right into it. Now she'll introduce her and uh, we'll see where it goes. So today we are actually joined by the UK's number one emotional intelligence coach, trainer and mentor, the one and only Lindsay Cap. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Al. It's good to be here. Excited to talk about this topic today. Yeah, indeed. No, we're really excited to have you because I know that you will shine a light on the topics that we like to discuss in a in a very unique way. Those topics, Lindsay, the way we what we love to explore in in the kind of the highest level is two simple things, which is the innate brilliance that we believe lies inside of every single human being, and we love blowing up illusions that get in the way of that for most people. So maybe what I thought would be a cool starting point is just like we would love to learn a little bit more about you and your story and perhaps what that innate brilliance or however you might describe it, what that looks like to you in the context of that story. And then maybe we can we can kind of expand out from there. Ooh, the story. Yeah. So um, certainly just to give you a broad background on who I am and, and where I came from and how I got to so-called claim that title, if you like, um, was I was brought up by my mother and father who were very abusive to one another. So my mother was an alcoholic and a profound self-harmer. And my father was a very strong, but very abusive emotionally and physically um, to myself and my brother. We were brought up in council house surroundings, um, not a lot of money. So the story really is um, the council house, Lindsay Cap, Luke, an airport, which is a, a place in the UK known as um, just a, a very rundown, deprived area, but, but not drastic, but just, you know, not abundant. And throughout my life, my up until the age of 27, when, when I had my first child, my whole life was the identity of I'm the daughter of an alcoholic. I'm a daughter of an abusive father. So that title, though not said, really held a shadow over me creating my own identity without consciously having awareness. I'd done no self-development. I'd, I'd really worked my way to just not be an alcoholic, to just not be an abuser. That was my main frame. And so brilliance was not in my awareness. 
survival was, resilience was, but brilliance had not been spoken about or demonstrated in any part of my life. So up until 27, the best I ever sort of thought I could be was not what I'd been subject to. That was as far as I would put brilliance to be. And um, roll it on. I had my first child at 27. And then I wanted brilliance as a mother. That's when it became, I would say, in my world of want and desire. I wanted to be a brilliant mother. And that was so important. Hence, I hadn't had the skills. So my first experience of brilliance and desire to be brilliant was around 27. And I wasn't brilliant. I All I had was the skills that I'd been subject to um, and, and been around. And I noticed there was a huge gap in my what I desired my parenting to be to what it actually was. So I did have a temper. I did have anger. I did have uh, very little patience because, again, I was coming from a field base of my own. I hadn't healed anything of my own. So brilliance was tough to find. Um, and only through pain of not being what I, I truly desired to be, which was kind and forgiving and loving and patient and nurturing, in the absence of those, brilliance became a bigger desire. And that's my turning point on when I really sought out some mentors, some training, some therapy, some professionals, some new knowledge. What did brilliance look like? Where where do I get it? How do I find it? How do I learn to be it? Um, and then the the journey started with therapy, first of all, of understanding that I had an ability to have my own identity and what that entailed. And then from there went on to a sort of 35, went into learning about NLP which was neuro-linguistic programming on how I had obtained habits of behaviors and how I could turn these around. So in, in the overall picture, I had had no teachings in any capacity around how to be what I would consider brilliant other than I was brilliantly resourceful and resilient. So I had brilliance in that, but didn't know it was a gift till later on. Wow. You mentioned so much in that. You mentioned that, you know, at 27, you started looking for brilliance. Like, have you found it? I'm 50. It's been a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I can honestly, hand on heart, say I know what brilliance feels like in my body, and it feels like home. 
it has peace and tranquility and what I would describe as joy. I found my brilliance, which is my place of, of home. Um, so for me, yes, I found it. Yes, I visit it as often as I can. And anytime I'm away from home, I get homesick. Let's put it mm -hmm. like that. I get homesick and I find my way back. Yeah, I um, that really resonates with me. And, and I, my question is, you know, so many people, and I'm sure you see this through your work, so many people believe they have to go on this epic journey, this long, involved, entangled adventure. And at some point you arrive at El Dorado and uh, the the streets are paved with gold and you've, you've made it. You've, you've had your, your realization you've hit Nirvana. Um, but when you really do the work, uh, you realize that you were always home. And, and a question for me is, um, through this work, when was the moment you sort of sat back and went, Oh boy, it's been here all along. <laughs> Mark, that is such a great question because when you do have that moment, you never forget it. It's like giving birth. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, yes. So um, I, I, as I say, I went NLP. So I did NLP practitioner, I did NLP diploma, I did, then did NLP masters, I then did NLP train the trainer. I spent years and years hungry because I still didn't feel home. There was, there was more. I needed to be more. So I needed, needed practitioner wasn't enough because then that means that, um, I'm not a master. And, and when I was a master, well, I need to be a trainer of it. And then when I was delivering training, it was, this doesn't, this doesn't feel as solid. It, it's like there's always a technique and there's always something to do. So unless I was doing a technique or unless I was helping someone with a technique, we were back in the pain again and it was not healing. And so then I went into, um, from there, you know, coaching and I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to be an NLP master trainer and coach. And I got the certificates and they felt good, but then they stopped feeling good. And then there was a hunger again because there wasn't the healing. So then it was emotional intelligence, which for me was huge because that was learning about the 15 areas of my characteristics that I'd learnt and how to actually turn them up or turn them down to get a sense of order and home feeling. You know, when my self-regard was balanced, boy, did I know it, but only if my empathy for others was truly balanced too. If one was out of whack, 
one was too high in my empathy, then my self-regard being too low, I would would feel it. I would sense it. So for me, the aha moment was when I realized, and this will sound, well, it will sound as it sounds, but to me, I had got dials and I had ripped the knobs off without realizing. And when I learned that we all have emotional intelligence alongside our IQ and, and our innate intelligence, and I could put the knobs back on and I could turn the dials myself. That was my aha moment of, boy, when I just be me and I focus on me as the primary leader of whatever, my parenting, my relationship, my inner peace, my tranquility, my holiday, didn't matter. But when I had awareness of what was not working and what needed turning up or turning down, that gave me a powerful truth that I didn't need anything other than who I was, but to be in self-awareness in this way felt the most loving way that I could love me in order to love another. So my aha moment was really when I discovered my ability to acknowledge and take control in responsibility and ownership of my emotional intelligence, which was my response to myself and the world. Lindsay, you said something in there, which is a phrase that always intrigues me which I think he said, um, just be me is enough. I, I find that, you know, the idea of just being ourselves an intriguing one, because I think for a lot of people, it kind of throws them a little bit because they get lost in the idea, well, who am I? Like, what does it mean to just be me? Would you, can you talk to what what you mean by that because i think there's uh, it sounds as you as a as you were talking i could feel that it really has a me a deep meaning for you but could you share what what that looks like yeah it's a great great question now so for me my identity whenever i was asked in a group setting especially when i started to learn they were like introduce yourself and tell us who you are and my stomach used to churn and I used to shake and think, I don't want to go first. And I remember the statements religiously coming out the same. I'm just a mum. Or I'm Lindsay Cap from a council estate. Or I'm the, the daughter to an alcohol. The identity always had a dictation that was never my own. It was something I'd learned along the way. And what I really have found on... Like, like what Mark said, you know, the golden path, the Wizard of Oz, the yellow brick road, whatever we want to call it, that I would love to share with the whole world is I wish I would have known that who I am and what that looks like, sounds like, feels like is only ever going to be what I decide it to be. It can never, ever be possible for someone else to make me feel something. 
unless I participate in it. And I wish I would have known that because my whole life was thinking that I could get it outside here when I got a certificate or when my father loved me or my partner said I was beautiful or my kids, you know, got 10 out of 10 in spellings. I would be a good mum. It was always subject to outside in before I had the permission to feel any sense of self-worth or pride. And when I learn, I can decide what I am, what he is, she is, the world is, what this moment is, what yesterday was, and what tomorrow can be. But that whole truth is the only truth is I'm in charge. And that's a big weight, but then... Who I be, you know, that's an English that I, I learned to really work with, but it was like, what does that even mean? Who you be? <laughs> and it's who I am, what I'm going to be in this moment is going to dictate my next. But not if I bring what was with me. There's no chance of newness. So in simplistic terms, in this moment, I can be anything I decide because I'm the lover of me. And then I'm the lover of you. But not if I don't love me first. So for me, if anybody has any challenges with their self-worth, their self-love, knowing who they are, their identity, it's just stay still for this moment and learn how to make a really great choice. And the choice is you are free to decide in this moment that I am Lindsay Cap, the best mother in the whole wide world, to me. And I like to live in the responsibility, ownership and love of me enjoying my world through the way I love me because then I can enjoy loving the rest of the world. That feels like true freedom to me. And that's what I sought from pain my whole life up until this age of 50 years old. That's the joy, the freedom, the inner peace, the tranquility that we all seek to touch as often as we possibly can but it can only ever be touched in my view when you touch that place of true belief that you are pure love and you are lovable and you are love in every given moment if you are courageous enough to make that choice and it is courage it's really courageous to love yourself and make a choice of who you are in this moment by letting go of what was and trusting in what will be. And it's a big ask. But if you are courageous enough to step into this in its possibility, if you don't have it already, then there's everything to play for. You can't lose. Lindsay, one of the things that Elle and I are intrigued by and certainly encouraging our listeners 
um, more and more to do is is the practice. You know, we we I have a strong sense that a lot of what we point to and what our guests point to is the same thing, just packaged different ways or articulated different ways. But the practice is where the real rub is because it's it's like, okay, you know, and I've experienced this. I've chat to people and I point and and explore and people go, yeah, okay, that sounds amazing. But how do I actually do that? And I, I would love to hear how your your um, craft has evolved so that your personal craft, I'm not talking about what you do for others, your personal craft has evolved so that in any given moment, there may be a trigger, there may be something happening and you can instantly go to that place and then choose to create from that place of awareness. And and I'd love to know how you how you get home, number one, and then when you do create, what what does that often sort of look like? Um, I think that'd be really interesting for people to hear. Okay, yeah, I love it because I, I'm sure there's people that will listen and think. God, that's ridiculous. I remember all my resistance all the way through and and still shows up in periods of of times when I'm in immense challenge, which is, well, it can't, like you say, how do you do it? It's like we're always looking for the doing, you know, you know, wave a magic wand, do three turns, clap to the left, you know, go and do some weights, lose three stone, find a better partner. You know, it's always get something, do something to get something. And for me, I have always been trying to get somewhere to get something to validate this is okay. Like, there's a permission thing that goes on, which is like, I can't just say this. There's got to be a harder road. You know, there's got to be some some grafting I need to do. And so for me, the big evelation was in order for this to be possible, the biggest thing that I discovered, the magic, was my ability to see innocence. I was a blamer and a judger because that's how I stayed safe. I was a black and white thinker, good, bad, right, wrong, full of shit, load of whappy people, hugging trees. You know, I would condemn things through not understanding how that is possible. So it's so much easier to just shame it, get it away, put it in a box so I could have a black and white judgment that didn't take space up in my brain and I could carry on with my life, you know? And so the the real the real magic was seeing the innocence and the first place I had to learn how to do it. So the doing here was, can I see the innocence in my mother and my father? 
can I see? And the way I do this, I mean, this is my <laughs> my recipe. Um, but for me, it, it made wonderful magic, which was I got a photo of my mother, which I have here right in front of me. Um, I have a mother of my a photo of my mother when she was five years old, a little girl in a little pinafore dress with a little t-shirt, black and white with a little hair clipping. And realizing that she was always doing her best. If there was ever a moment when I didn't believe that she was doing her best, there would be a judgment that came up in me that would trigger my traumas because my expectation then was justified. My judgments were justified. She should have done better. It should have been easier. I should be further, you know, entitlement. So learning to see the innocence was as easy as, I say easy, it wasn't easy, it was incredibly painful because I had to let go of a lot of lack of forgiveness was, it's got to be someone's fault. <laughs> someone's got to be to blame. Because if not, what do I do? Because I've blamed my whole life. I've judged my whole life. So it was painful, but nothing new can, in my experience, can ever be obtained if you are not willing to be courageous and go. I have a sign behind me, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasures you seek. I was scared to go in the cave because if I forgave, does that mean it's okay for my mum to have beaten me and shamed me my whole life? Was it okay for my father to have, you know, physically slippered me till I bled? Is that okay? No. Well, how do I see the innocence? Because if I see the innocence, then, then what? Well, that's the cave. What I didn't know was if I truly look at the innocence of my mother and her ancestral path of how she was treated and how they were treated, you know, it went generation after generation. And I look at that little girl of my mother and I think she did her best. And then my father. And then guess what? Then me. Then my little five-year-old in seeing my innocence. So my daily practice, whenever I don't feel home, whenever I'm in pain or trauma or anything that doesn't feel good, nourishing. Now, anger to me can be nourishing. You know, I'm not talking about wappy, clappy, always feel la-la land. It's it's literally, I feel frustrated and that's okay. My anger is coming from passion of true love and that's okay. My ability to be with the range of emotions is by seeing my innocence that always they are coming from a loving place. And if not, then my daily practice is can I see my innocence or their innocence? Because that moves my ego and my pride out of the way and my true loving heart to come through. And that is goddamn hard work at times. You know, I don't want to make this sound easy, like, oh, you just love everybody. <laughs> it's like, it's brutal and it has energy and it's 
days where you just might drop the weight and say, today is just a bad day, not a bad life. It's a bad day. And tomorrow I'm going to pick the weight back up. You know, it's really not living an idealistic perfection expectation. It's allowing your humanness to be human. Keeping your humor is my practice too. My childlike ways of being and my truth, which is always I am doing my best. I would say, Mark, in a nutshell, that was the long way around, but that is the daily ways that I come and find home as often as I can. My humanness, my humor, my lack of entitlement, and sometimes the ability to say it's just a bad day. No, thanks for sharing that. That's that's um, That's a wonderful kind of insight, and I think that's... That's the real nugget of gold here is is just seeing what is possible when you when you work at that awareness and and to your point, we all get there in different ways hmm. but but just hearing how somebody actually does it and the practice of it is I think immensely immensely beneficial for people listening and and trying to figure this out themselves. So thank you very much. And I love that sign, by the way, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you see coming. That's just, isn't it? That's magic. <laughs> <laughs> it's daunting and terrifying, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's so true. It, it, and, and you make such a great point, Mark. It's terrifying. You know, sometimes, um, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I certainly have days where I want someone else to do the work. <laughs> Please, I can't do this. And my expectation is, gosh, have I not done enough? And I think that's where the humor part is so important. No, there's never going to be a final destination. There's never just a win. There's always a you know, a polarity of the two. But if we have those fundamental principles, how do I want to live today? And if tomorrow doesn't come, would I be happy that today was this way? You know, that I've lived this way today? That's one hell of a great foundational um, support and crutch when it does get tough. Yeah, I think the humor, the humor really resonates with me. And I, I mean, Elle and I laugh at each other all the time, but... <laughs> The thing is, when you see how you're scaring the bejesus out of yourself sometimes and you can actually s stop and observe yourself doing it, it is quite funny. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and if we don't laugh, I mean, then this does become like us all hugging trees out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a good look. I agree. I love the word wappy. I've never heard the word wappy before. I'm going to start using it. <laughs> Every sentence. Fantastic. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about, you mentioned resistance and it's linked to what we've just been talking about. And I'm curious whether you think that's where people's natural resistance comes from, which is that, you know, as you start, like I, myself and Mark talk about when we had our moment of, oh my goodness, like, we are creating all of this ourselves. It's all inside out. 
And I wonder if that's, I'm curious where you see the resistance come from, because I think that a lot of this, when people think about the tree hugging, wappy stuff, I think it's because people sometimes want to pass it off as being soft. Oh, that's kind of soft. But actually, what we're really talking about here is not it's not so much hard, but to my mind, it's the ultimate responsibility. It's seeing, oh, identity, that's my choice. Or how I create my experience of what is happening in my world is my choice. And I just would love to hear your perspective on that resistance, because to me, that's kind of that in one sense is the 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 big the first dark the first cave that people have to enter, which is so if I enter this cave, I might find the treasure I seek, but by entering this cave, I'm choosing to accept that it's me, mm-hmm. that no matter the question, the answer is me. Um, and I just love to hear you just talk to that, that uh, to that, and and perhaps how you overcame the resistance or saw through it, and and what you might point to to others that might be somewhat like living in the resistance right now. Mm, gosh, it's such a so much there for people, and and certainly, I was the most resistant for thirty five years. Anything in my whole 50 years of living anything that has had pain has always had resistance you know i don't want to i i don't want to forgive my mum because that would mean it's okay what she did it, i don't want to be doing breath work and breathing in for four and out for four i've got better things to do with my life you know i don't want to be led astray by these cult people who think that everything's you know form or formless and a chair's not a chair and there will be instant judgment and my instant judgment is my fear of exploration because somewhere along the line, when I was a curious child, I got bitten, you know, I got slapped. There was some kind of pain and I learned early on, don't be curious, don't touch things, don't look at things, don't ask questions, don't don't dream, don't be stupid, stop. And this all happened without my say-so. So that felt like home. That was home originally. My home was judge, keep safe, quickly make decisions. When you've been with an alcoholic, you make really quick decisions. <laughs> and I think in society now with internet and digital and everything being at our fingertips, we're so quick. Everything's quick. Now AI is quick. You know, we had to make quick, snappy decisions. Even when you're dating, you've got thousands. You've got to be quick because the good ones might go. You know, it's insane. It's quickness everywhere. Um, Quick, quick, getting quick. In the speed in which now life moves and when we're asking somebody to slow down, there is always a resistance to slowing down because I'm going to feel something. When we slow down, we are bringing in the heart. You 
got to be brave because you're going to feel something. Now, whatever you feel, I believe resistance comes first. I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to deal with anything. I don't want to look at anything. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want because I just want to be safe, 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 safe. But that's old programming from childlike states. Because if we really slow down and we see the magic and the magnificence and everything as a, you know, a, a, like looking through a kaleidoscope of color, but we've been living in a black and white world for so long, that's a big ask. Come and see color. Come and put these glasses on. Look through this. Come and, you know, look at possibility. Oof. But what will happen to me when I do. So for me, resistance comes because we fear the unknown. We fear possibility. We fear feeling. And yet it's the thing we seek. Of course we want to wake up. Of course we want colour. But there's no guarantees. So like you say, who's going who's gonna to guarantee it? The investment. If I invest in this, what about my return? We're always seeking a return and nowadays a guarantee. And if there's no guarantee, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to touch. I'm not going to. I'm going to stay here. And then the people who are brave enough to look, to touch, to explore, it's like we can go back in years, can't we, even to, you know, Jesus and religion. And it, it's, you know, it was shamed. It stoned you know, crown of thorns, you know, we have to keep away things from us that we fear because we, society does that. It separates us, COVID, you know, Brexit, politics, we all get separated. Um, and that's where it becomes confusing, in my opinion. And there's a great story I was reading in mythology around um, the goddess Echo, uh, there's a goddess called Echo, and and she's in love with them. Um, now I'm not great; I only learned it the other day. But it was narcissi narcissism. Um, the, am I right here, Mark? You're shaking your head, but I think I've got it right. There's the because I was very fascinated with narcissism. You know this big terminology, so I wanted to understand it. See, this is the beauty. I don't have resistance if I get curious now what i've learned is to look to touch to investigate to go there because there's some gold so i find out that there's this god narcissism who looks and is is born so beautiful that he's that beautiful and perfect and everything that he is and he falls in love with echo which is the goddess um of of and she falls in love with him and she keeps whispering, I love you, look at me. She wants to be seen. She wants to love him, but he keeps looking in the river and he is he's sort of, um, what would you say, condemned, if you like, to only love himself. He isn't capable of loving her, but she loves him and she just keeps whispering to him, hence the word echo. And she keep, and I, and, and that really brought tears to my eyes of, I'm looping back round to your question is why do we have resistance? And it's the saddest thing in the world is there's so much here. But if we keep looking in the river like narcissism did and he'll die 
and he, he just dies. He falls in the river and drowns because he's just looking at himself, at himself, at himself. And Echo, his voice gets it's quieter and quieter. She's like, I love you. I love you. You know, look, look, I love. And, and it dies. And that's what I see happening when we're separated from one another in the ways that we are, when we shame and we have resistance. It's, I don't want so much of this sharing and your podcast and brilliance is, I don't want people to just keep looking in the same reflection. I would love them to look up and have the courage to just look, to just touch, to just be curious, because there is an echo and we all have it, which is there's more to be had. I believe the echo is our inner wisdom, which is there's more for you. You were born for more. There's so much possibility for you and brilliance in this world that you are truly brilliant. And if we'd just be courageous enough to listen to that echo, which is our internal voice by slowing down and asking the question, what would I love? I love, I love that analogy. And it's, um, it's so funny, you know, Al and I talk about this all the time. The, the echo whispers in your ear and we ignore it or we dismiss it as something else. And we sacrifice that lightning path, that, that wisdom on the altar of justification. So we, we, we have other things that we go in pursuit of to just, why we feel the way we do or why we behave the way we do. And if, to your point, if for just a moment we stopped the narcissistic pursuit of being right and being beautiful and being whole and we, and we raised our head and, and, and followed the echo, um, it, it could it could lead to something quite magical, but it's so, it's so funny, you know, and, and like the most, the most um, common example, I'm sure that I'm sure you come across this as well is, you know, I'm, I have friends and colleagues and, and, and clients who like, I, I know I should be doing something else. This I'm really, I'm really, I love making cupcakes. <laughs> and you're like, go make cupcakes. Um. And they're like, no, 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 no. I've, I've got to stay in investment banking. Yeah. And then you read the example of the investment banker who got fed up and she bought an avocado farm and is now farming avocados and is happy as a clam. And people go, oh, if only I had the courage to do that. And it's like, how many echoes have you ignored and uh, and sacrificed on the altar of justification and conditioning and mm. it's it's um yeah it's so true it's it's just learning to trust and it's scary like you said mm. like it's you know it's kind of like you know the the image i had when you were talking was you're kind of standing at the cave entrance and uh, as people walk past you're like oh, excuse me um do you have the uh, answer to life <laughs> And 
And everybody's like, oh, no, no, no. So, oh, yeah, I do. Uh, it's it's over here. It's called Catholicism. Oh, no, no, it's over here. It's called Buddhism. Oh, no, no, it's over here. It's 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 Islam. And, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And then somebody at some point or it gets quiet for a moment and you hear a whisper behind you and you suddenly realize you're standing in front of a cave. And then more and more you notice it and eventually you have this feeling inside that you just have to go into the cave. Yeah. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, it's, it's time. It's time. Yeah. And 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 like you say, I mean, this is so brilliant, is did I know when I started me being a coach, 25 pounds a session, people were like, why would anyone pay you to just chat? I'm like, I don't know. Will they pay me? Why would they pay me just to talk? What for me to share what? And then you're talking six years of a six-figure business, single mum, three kids, limited company, and you sort of say, how did that brilliance happen? I have just done what I love, which is chatting, listening, and learning along the way in a collective together. I don't know the answer, but I know that we can certainly work through it and work it out. And then what do I want to talk about? Emotional intelligence, because I love it. I can talk about it all day long. Well, you can't just talk. I mean, what does that? It's like, I'm just going to do it. It doesn't matter. And and like you say, from there, I have the most amazing life. And people say, well, how have you done that? And it comes right the way back. I just wanted to do what I love doing. And I was brave enough to only do what I love. I could I could make seven figures, eight figures. I could go into marketing and social media and funnels and everything. I don't want to. I don't like it. That's just me. I don't like it. <laughs> I just want to do these sorts of things and chat with great people and laugh and put the worlds to rights and make meaning and bring in, you know, myth, m- myths from, from Greek gods and talk. I love it. It makes me cry. It makes me laugh. I'm curious. I want to live every day like this. And if I make money, that's just sprinkles and cherries. Wow. But what I've always seen, I don't know about you, Al and Mark, but the people who do really have the adoration of others, they've only done what they love. And that, I would say, is brilliance. Anybody that I look at that I think is brilliant isn't because of the money they make. It's that they just do what they love. That's brilliant. Yeah, and I I think when, yeah, I'm totally with you in that. And because I think you feel it. You feel it from someone who's so connected to themselves and they wouldn't be anywhere else in the world but where they are right now. Because they are listening. Like, and you, you've used the word courage a few times, like that, the courage to listen and then the courage to act on what shows up. And then there's no place to get to. Like, I've been chuckling away to myself since Mark was talking about the investment bankers and 
avocado farms just because I thought the worst thing that could possibly ha- happen now is people think that I must go and buy an avocado farm because that's where <laughs> happiness lives. But it kind of comes back to the thing that I think it's giving up on. And as you were talking through your story, you know, um, chasing the certificates, it's like, that they work for a while. Mm-hmm. And like a certificate could be a car, it could be a house, it could be a relationship, could be a job could be anything on the outside and you get it and it quickly wears off and you're back again and it's letting you know that to that to me is this part of the conversation it's the oh it really doesn't live outside of me and you know in kind of seeing that that everyone's doing their best because until you let go of that idea well, you're kind of trapped in the chase. You know, it's, I have this picture of people and they're sprinting a million miles an hour and you're like, where are you going? I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find happiness. I'm trying to find freedom. And you're like, if you slow down, it's right here. No, 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 you didn't hear me. I'm too busy. I've got to run because it's over there. And you're like, no, if you slow down, it's right here. Um, and that, and that, that I think is where resistance comes from. You know, if we were talking about leaders, you know, anybody, you know, you said there that brilliance, you, what was it you said? You said about, because I was just thinking about, as you said, I was thinking, oh my goodness, if every leader heard that, mm. you know, what was it? You said something about brilliance and, and followers. The brilliance is when, for me, is when you, when you experience somebody it isn't a title somebody can claim. Like they can't say, I am brilliant. It is something that comes up in somebody else in the presence of another. So if there is brilliance, it's always with the adoration of the journey of what they have achieved. Now, not materialistically, but as they stand, I would say completely naked of any money, status, title, business, that if you took all of that away and they were completely naked, would you have a sense of brilliance in who they are? And who they are is the journey in which they stand in front of you in that truth and wisdom and and knowledge and nothingness. It's like, I feel someone's brilliance. No one gets to tell me they're brilliant. It comes up in me. And that is so influential of another person can ignite that in me, which means it lives in me too because I'm experiencing it. That for me, I would say, is a place I would want to live every day. I want to be around people who I feel are extremely brilliant and they will all have different stories. They will all have different, you know, ways of living. But I, I certainly do as much as I can surround myself with people who I believe are brilliant in one form or another. And I do see brilliance in the majority of people because we all hold a level of brilliance somewhere. If we come from loving ourselves. 
You know, I can only see brilliance in others because I had to learn how to see the brilliance of myself. Not that I dictated it, but because it's true love. You know, brilliance is is everywhere. It's brilliant how we're born. It's brilliant how we father, how we mother. It's brilliant how angry we get. It's brilliant how we can turn a story into a myth. You know, it's there's so much here, but only in slowing down now, like you say. You know, I would miss brilliance in speed, haste, entitlement, dictation, knowing, you know, all of those things that that create a so-called safety, which is made up, but we have sets of behaviors. When I let all that go, when I just stay still, when I just really look, listen, touch, you know, lift your head and listen, there's brilliance everywhere. In a bloody tree, there's brilliance. (laughs) I mean, amazing. That sounds a bit wappy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, see? See? But you missed the tree. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, gosh. Lindsay, we have a funny closing question that we don't tell anyone about for our podcast, um, which is if you could create a bumper sticker for life, what would it say? It would say, get out of your bath of shit. Yeah, that's a Lindsay Cap bumper <laughs> sticker right there. <laughs> get out of wow. your bath of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 lovingly so, just you know, firstly we gotta call it out. Do you want to get out of your bath of shit? So to me, the bumper sticker I'd put on everybody's car would be get out of your bath of shit. Well, you know, and I love that as well. Coming from, like, I genuinely mean this, like coming for you, because I think, like for me, and I would hope for people listening, like you're not saying that from a theoretical standpoint. You know, as you told your story, it's like, you made the choice and there is a choice and it takes courage. And I just want to acknowledge your courage. Like it's amazing to have you on and for you to share so openly your story and your insights, because I think that's what makes it real for people, you know, is hearing stories like yours and then people, they can see themselves in you. And I think sometimes that's what people need to find the courage. So I just want to say thank you for coming on and sharing that so beautifully with us today. You're so welcome. And and I would I would encourage us all to be more vulnerable. You know, the vulnerability allows the courage to take place. But if we're not willing to go first, then how can any of us get out of our bath of shit? I mean, we've all got to lead our own paths and our own lives. But if we're willing to go first, we've got more of a chance to lead another, to have the courage to step out of their bath of shit just the same. Mark, any final comments from your side? No, I mean, this is, I can't believe it's been an hour. Like, Lindsay, thank you so much. And thanks for sharing so vulnerably. And and it's just been magical and lovely and funny and and saddening and illuminating all in one so thank you so much 
You're so welcome. It's been fun. I've loved it. And uh, yeah, let's find brilliance everywhere we can go. Thanks, guys. Super. Well, thank you. What a perfect note to end on. See you later, everybody. And hopefully uh, tune in next week for another episode of Live Into Your Brilliance. 